0: The UK Investor Magazine podcast is brought to you in association with Oanda, the broker of choice for traders who want a smarter way to trade. Trade with Oanda and get one year's subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments now available on your Amazon Alexa. For today's podcast, we're going to be hosting a Q&A session with the Cadence Minerals CEO, Kieran Morzaria. Kieran, thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Uh, thanks, as always.
0: Kieran presented with us at a UK Investor Magazine virtual conference about a month ago now. We had a lot of questions in from investors that we weren't able to field to Kieran during that event. So we're going to be delivering some of those questions to Kieran today. And there are also some questions that have come in since. So we're going to be looking at addressing those. So without further ado, we're going to get into it. It's going to be a very straightforward Q&A session. So the first question that comes in is a question that relates to Evergreen, of course, the lithium asset in Australia. Evergreen has listed. How did it all go?
1: Well, it, the listing has gone really well. According to the management, which uh, we spoke to uh, just after listing, they, they were saying it was one of the most successful listings on the ASX exchange this year. This year. As shareholders, we're really extremely with the, extremely happy with the performance. It's about up 80% in this week or in the week since the start traded, and our return because we invested much earlier is uh, sort of 370%, and that is adding about three million to our pretty substantial portfolio value of 40 million. So we've got about a 43 million portfolio value. So overall, our assets. So it's it's great. It's part and parcel of what our strategy was to achieve with with Evergreen and of course Hastings. We did with the did something similar last year or this year rather.
0: Another question here, again on Evergreen, Kieran, it's more about you know, what's going to be happening next. What are their plans post-listing?
1: Yeah, so obviously you can read the prospectus um, and obviously, we had spoken to management, we understood those plans and, and, and they've helpfully released a presentation um, which is available on their website and we'll be updating our website to reflect some of these uh, aspects. But in essence, Evergreen has three assets that it's progressing on. And you can see from the prospectus what they're planning and do what doing and they've helpfully released a, a pretty informative little presentation, which really shows their strategy over the next four to five months. So they've got three projects, the Binone, uh, Fortune and Kenny. Their flagship project is in the Binone project, which is in northern Australia. Uh, in a abuts core lithium, which is about capitalized about two billion. And the real, you know, between them. You know us vending the project to them and then listing they raised capital and then they've done um they did an assay program in 2022 they did a ambient noise tomography uh, survey also 22 and then now you we expect to see the results from that and ambient noise tomography is 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 not new but it's new in the exploration of lithium and those um uh, geophysics uh th- those uh, pegmatites that don't expose its surface sometimes it's hard to understand the geomorphology below it so ambient noise tomography is a is a good way to understand vertical structures um uh and, and in particular these pegmatites that have got uh, that are buried and so that's we we'll, we really look forward to see some 3d imaging imaging from that then they're going to carry on doing further geochem and mapping and probably do another uh what, what an ant or A ambient noise tomography survey and that's going to be their focus for the next four or five months in Binone. The reason they're not drilling immediately although they have drill targets it's seasonal up there so you can only drill certain parts um, uh, certain parts of the certain times of the year and so that's one of the reasons and they also have to get local land or indigenous uh, people's uh, permission to drill as well so they need to do that but what they also have is the Kenny Lithium project which is already Carried out some auger drilling. It's in a well-known lithium province, and so we should get the assay and terp, an interp of the auger program. And then hopefully they start their maiden drill program on that asset. So they have the ability to be drilling on one, still carrying out some remote sensing early exploration targets there. So it's that's what they're posted doing. But of course, eventually they want to develop a hopefully a world-class deposit at the mine by known or Kenny, uh, Kenny areas.
0: Fantastic. So we've got a, another question here on Evergreen and it relates to the close proximity to Core Lithium's Finis mm. project. Now, this Finnis project has just increased the mineral resource estimate by 62% to some 30 million tonnes. It started shipping earlier this year. So the question is, how similar are Evergreen's assets to Core Lithium's Finis mineralisation? Yeah, so uh,
1: this was asked uh, as well last time, but I wanted to expand a bit more because really sometimes it's hard to explain sort of early exploration geology and how that can relate to an eventual discovery of a deposit and of course, uh, you know, hopefully eventually production. So firstly, in real basic, what we're targeting here are pegmatites, which are, you know, volcanic, or igneous type rocks and they host some lithium mineral called spodumene and so eventually the product is a spodumene project that get product that gets shipped off to china and converted into lithium compounds now the known pegmatite field um, hosts the finished lithium deposit which as you read, read, read said was about 30 million tons and it's like um, you know it's one of the newest producers and you know could argue it's a world class deposit so the binone pegmatite field hosts the Finnish lithium deposit, and the tenure of evergreen lithium covers part of the binone pegmatite field, hence they named it the binone lithium project. So it's in the right area, it's in the right geological environment. The mapping has shown quartz blows, which are a surface expression of quartz at surfaces. Imagine an igneous uh, extrusion and, and a blow of quartz is exposed at surface. That's... Exactly the same type of surface expression that you see on Finnis and other project, uh, other of those uh, deposits in core. The the pegmatite trend, I, which way they strike or or they orientate, is a northeast southwest um, uh, trend, which is similar to those that you see on core affects, and the geochem samples that are being done in twenty twenty one which we saw, and 2022, which we still have to see the results for, so we don't know about that, but 2021 confirmed the same mineral signature at the surface that we had in core, core lithium. So if we look at it, it's in the right geological environment, it's got one of the right surface expressions of a pegmatite, The, the it's orientated in the same uh, way as the core lithium assets are, and it also has uh, the geochemical signatures that were, exhibited in core lithium. So if you take that, that's a really strong indication and certainly has identified some drill targets. Tomography will finalise that, but the geology is the same environment and it's looking very similar. Drilling will eventually determine the size and nature, but Evergreen have believed that there's a possibility of another world-class deposit here
0: at Binome. Thank you. So moving on now from Evergreen, but staying within lithium, there's... You know, a question here about the reduction in the price of, of lithium. Now, anybody following the lithium market would be well aware what's happened to the price over the last six months to a year. But it'd be good to get your view, Kieran, on why this has happened. And the question specifically asks: is this a reflection of oversupply in the markets?
1: Well, in the short term, as, you, as you've just mentioned, we've seen a drop of lithium compound pricing. So these are the final products uh, that go precursor to making batteries, which is lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate at 99 plus percent. Now that's dropped 50 to 60 to pe- percent, depending on what um, benchmarks you use and or service providers. But how have you got to remember that these Lithium products are not commodities like copper and tin. There's not a transparent openly transparent market. So we always like you would have in you know the open crime markets and the LME, you don't have that transparency because you can't transfer ownership that w- that way because lithium carbon lithium hydroxide have qualities that, qualities that as a vendor you're giving a guarantee to a seller. So there's no real middlemen as it were in this t- to do trading of lots and stuff like that. So there's no transparent market. So you always have to review that pricing data in context, in context of other data points. And so what we can see, and what we can see in transactional pricing for spogamine, which is a precursor to the lithium concentrate, at uh, the lithium hydroxide, shipped from Australia, we did see a small drop in pricing, but nothing to the level of the drop that we saw in the compounds. So given the input costs of the Chinese smelters buying in this product, when we have a known idea of the processing cost to convert the spodumene to lithium compounds, it basically suggests that Chinese converters are running at a loss or breaking or break even. So there is a pricing mismatch in the short term, and Bloomberg basically came out this morning saying, actually, uh, you know, there is there seems to be an undersupply of, of lithium carbon, lithium hydroxide, um, and which we and therefore we will see a recovery. Now, that's in the short term, which is important to our short term portfolio um, valuation. Um, But ultimately, we want to say, what is the long term for these assets? Well, I think we've always talked. Of course, we know where this is. The majority of the demand that we see that's clear is in the EV sector. And you know, you keep on seeing news flow that suggests more penetration in the EV sector. So long, to, so for example, the EPA in the USA, in USA, the EPA in the USA came out with significant changes to the mission regs, which benchmark minerals estimate that there'll be a further 78% requirement in terms of battery, in terms of batteries in their forecast for 2032, which of course means a demand on battery metals. You've got to imagine how quickly it's been growing since 2018 to 2023. There's been a 500% increase in the amount of battery capacity. So we're seeing the demand drivers, but are we seeing the supply and the investment to supply? And our frank answer has always been no and continues to be no, because various people talk about what they need in terms of investment. We're talking um you know benchmark estimates about five trillion dollars of in, uh, 2.5 trillion dollars of investment in the mining sector to feed the demand and it's not happening and therefore it will continue to be constrained and therefore I our view has been that you know EV penetration will plateau 20 30 percent by 25 27 unless we invest now and fast you've got to remember that we have 10 years you know roughly from discovery to production so it, it, it's it, it's the, the demand is there, we're not investing enough in supply. So I can't see um, how we're going to see a continuing uh, lithium price at this level, because there fundamentally is not enough product coming onto the market. And they're becoming harder to find because over the last 10 years of exploration, we've discovered new deposits um, and there's been further exploration. So a lot of the low hanging fruit have been discovered in the safe jurisdiction so you're now having to go into different jurisdictions that are harder to discover more expensive and maybe in areas that have got less good uh, land tenure and so and so forth the rule of law yes yeah, so that's my opinion so fundamentally not enough supply plenty of demand and and not enough investment to to feed that demand so continued high lithium prices
0: Thank you. So we're going to try and add a little bit more context to that opinion now with the next question from a shareholder, Kieran, which, you know, given what you've just said there is is quite a a good question. Uh, They ask, are you looking for additional investments in lithium? What would be the criteria in the current market? And, you know, where could these investments particularly be?
1: So our strategy is, is an investment company. And so we will always uh review and we continue to review uh lithium input primary at the moment lithium investments and there are the ones that we continue to review um and you know at the moment we're we're sort of not investing at this point in time but if we do find something that has as you talk about the criteria in, in simple as one of the things i would look for a good transparent jurisdiction with um established tenure and good laws uh, rules of law i would Look for hard rock pegmatites, um, not because they're necessarily a better producer, but they're, they're easier to market, they're quicker to market. There's an established processing route, um, and the, there's enough a pricing incentive to p- develop these these assets at the moment. And 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 I would then so when I look at that and I take those two, I quite like South America, quite like Brazil. Um, you know, given that Sigma and Lithium it has got the right geology. It's a stable stable crotonic environment. So, so it has similar geology that you might see in Australia. So, and with lots of, um, you know, granite intrusions and then the associated pegmatites, big pegmatite fields there. And, and we're seeing something like sigma Sigma lithium becoming one of the first podium producers out of, of Brazil. And of course, price. That's the other one, of course. You know, there's no point in having all of those things and, and someone's already priced in, you know, effectively um, a huge premium. So sometimes you might have to take some additional risks since for that.
0: Great. So we have another question here, which, you know, when you're in, in markets, there's always two sides to a market mm. and, and two views. And, and this one really looks at potential replacement technology. So it'd be good to get your your view around this question here, which asks about, how you feel about potential replacement technologies such as hydrogen fuel cells.
1: Yeah, so hydrogen fuel cells are, are interesting. And I, I think I, I always look at it from the bottom up. So what are hydrogen fuel cells? What, what, what does it need? So ultimately, a hydrogen fuel cell is driven off water um, uh, so to, to produce the hydrogen, right? Um, is an electrolysis process, which is en- energy hungry uh, to take water, uh, and produce uh, effectively hydrogen which then gets burnt um, and energy is then uh, for that burning of that energy you know transmits moves the car forward and also it's basically a, it's using a similar internal combustion engine to effectively um, or it it is used to charge batteries within a hydrogen car now the problem with that is that of course you then you know you know we're talking about uh, climate change and the, and the, and the, the possibility of lower water levels in terms of fresh water but there so then what people say well, we can just desalinate but then you've got a desalination and then a hy- uh, hy- hydrolysis in terms of co- producing the hydro which is highly energy intensive and certainly more energy intensive as i understand it than mining lithium itself and create and st- and that becomes a battery and storing the energy through uh, the generation of electricity through um, something like Solar power and so on and so forth. So, so that's what you're really comparing is h- how do you create the energy? Um, and and I so I, I don't see them as replacing. So it's one. I think it's more energy intensive. Uh, it's you're you're getting a depleting resource, which is effectively water and salt water, um, and and also you have the issue of infrastructure of storing these hydrogen fuel uh, hydrogen in in certain petrol stations and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of build out. That said, I can see them replacing or being part and parcel of the solution for long haulage trucks. So something like that, where they you you effectively have a hydrogen fuel cell, charging batteries which is what they do anyway at the moment. And then those batteries still drive the vehicle. So smaller batteries in sort of uh, vehicles that drive really long distances and, and have the space tuning. So, so sort of trucks across America, Uh, you know across Europe and so that's sort of that's right but for the EV vehicle um, you know for the for the for the sort of mum and pup driving kids to school and doing short distances in sort of Europe and the UK I can't see a replacement uh, for lithium-ion batteries uh, full stop.
0: So there's a question here and this is quite a broad one around the the actual EV um, vehicle market. Of course, there's lots of changes that are going in. There's lots of new lines that are coming in. There's different technologies that's being um, developed. I mean, what, what do you feel for, from your point of view will be the impact of what you're seeing at the moment on the longer-term forecast of how this market's going to play out? And of course, demand for uh lithium and you know potential replacements, you know, fr- from a specific EV standpoint, how do you see that? Uh, progressing in the coming years?
1: So uh, I suppose the holy grail with with, with EVs, um, because that's what they're really good for, is because they've got very low uh, maintenance costs. They can drive, you know, hundreds of thousands of kilometres with very low maintenance. So their cost of maintaining is sort of 10x lower than, um, uh, y- you know, than a sort of internal combustion engine, is then utilising sort of the AI uh, aspect for self-driving vehicles. Um, And and that's a longer view. And I'm assuming that we've sorted out the lithium problem. We've sorted out all these other issues that go along there and specifically uh, things like supply of materials, manufacturing processes and regulations in in, in that. But I can see AI being the next catalyst to drive um, EV penetration to the levels of, uh, of, you know, going towards that sort of magic 100% where, or 99% or 90%. Um, and also, I can see a huge boost in the economy. And this is not uh, this is not me saying this. There, there are several commentators that talk about this because suddenly, why do you need a car that sits in your drive most of the time of the year with probably a ninety, you know, ten to twenty percent utilization rate, when you can order an AI and which you're paying for on a lease basis or whatever, which you, you know costs you money and that's money's capital just tied up, sort of depreciating on your on your on your doorstep, when you can have effectively artificial artificial intelligence driven cars that take you locally around the place, take kids to school and, um, y- you know, and are at a 90%, um, uh, utilization rate where, and then you have less car parking, more availability space for, for housing, you know, effectively, personally, you have a huge amount more income because you're not leasing one or two vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that's the longer term, really long-term view, if you want to push it out that far. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I said, I think I foolishly maybe said that that would be, I would not be teaching my younger daughter to drive. Um, I still think just because of regulation, uh, I still think my younger daughter will still need to learn to drive. So I think it's in my lifetime, but uh, probably at the tail end of it.
0: Yes, yes. We, we've had a few people on from the uh, AV autonomous vehicle markets on on recently. And they they certainly shared that view. Mm. Kieran, so we obviously spoke about the, the lithium side of things, but we're going to move on to an area of your portfolio now, uh, which we haven't touched on so far, which is the rare earth market. And of course, you have a number of investments within that area. But let, let's start again by looking at the bigger picture here and, and how the rare earth market has, has performed and maybe some particular rare earth that has, has uh, stood out for you.
1: So you know we invested on in the rare earth market and they're not rare they're just called rare earth because that's where they appear on the periodic table mm-hmm. uh, on, on neodymium and praseodymium uh, because those are the two uh, rare earths that effectively are needed for um, you know, the, the green and uh, and EV electric revolution so we focused and that's where our investment is in in Hastings uh, technologies where we had a, a concession. Uh, that we have 30% off, we swapped out into equity into Hastings. Um, And there are, uh, uh, but what we've also seen in within that market, especially the pricing of uh, the the basket of neodymium and and other elements in that is we've also seen a drop in price off that over the last uh, three or four months. So, you know, we've seen both the lithium pricing and, and, and the neodymium, uh, praseodymium, and that basket of heavy uh, of rare earth metals that are used in uh, new technologies, a drop off in the price. Uh, and, and that's, again, probably through this, uh, you know, whether that be a, a true pricing or it's, it's, it's uh, sort of market speculation and certainly some of that, um, we, we, we we're not quite sure. But ultimately, if we, you know, the thesis, the primary thesis that electric vehicles are going to penetrate, we don't have enough supply, Therefore, these products and these things like these rare earth metals and lithium will be in demand. So pricing should move uh, northwards uh, and certainly shouldn't go much further south, um, uh, given where we are. So I still, although it's performed not so well in the last um, uh, three or four months, it's gone back to its level maybe in June last year. So. uh yeah so it hasn't performed well and that's really i, I suppose reflected in the performance of our, our investments as well there
0: we did have a few questions around rare uh and we've amalgamated them in into one here and it, it's really your assessment of your investments mm. at the moment given what you're seeing out there in the market and the price movement that you're seeing there i mean what's your general feeling around your portfolio holdings at the moment
1: well, as I just said, uh, both in the rare, both the lithium pricing has come come down in the short term, uh, and we've explained just beforehand why we think that's incorrect uh, in terms of lithium hydroxide, lithium carbonate, and we're seeing, we should see a rebound on that. And the same has happened in the rare earths, those basket of metals that we just talked about, those rare earths that are used in the EV sector and uh, permanent magnets. So as a result of that, I think we're also seeing a reflection in our portfolio because ultimately changes in rare earths, uh, or, ch- a, 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 you know, changes in lithium pricing in the short term has a short-term impact on NPV of the projects, even though they're not in construct, not being, um, there are some of them, one of which is in construction, but even though they're not in production, the, 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 the we see a, a drop in value. And that's what we've seen with both Hastings Technologies um, and European Metals Holdings, which, uh, and some of our smaller public uh, companies that we hold, their price has gone down. But ultimately, the thesis still remains the same. That in order to get the penetration and the government mandated emission targets in the US, for example, we need more. Raw materials, I reiterate benchmarks estimate $2.5 trillion worth of investment in the mining sector to achieve these targets so ultimately you've got a state mandated requirements, whether it be EU, United Kingdom, the US, US one of the, big, one of the biggest consumers of the single country of vehicles, you know, that, that sort of demand has got is going to come from the supply of these materials. So even though in the short term, we're seeing some pricing variation, I view and still, and I've seen this in 2018 and 2017, lo and behold, um, you know, Everyone realizes they still haven't invested enough money in this sector and, and prices go up. So it doesn't make me necessarily want to uh, exit this, th- these investments. Uh, but, you know, we once we've made our return or a good return, we need to now look how to exit to some of the invest to reinvest, to make the same level of return again. Um, so it uh, we've got a good set of investments and I certainly see upside for them.
0: That's fascinating. Thank you, Kieran. So we've got one final question here that's come in from an investor or potential investor. And this is a question that I do ask mining investment companies or potentially projects Generating companies, you know, they're, they're out there at the exploration phase. But the, the question is you know, Is it conceivable that Cadence could evolve from a mining investment company into an owner operator of its assets?
1: Yeah, uh, and, and it's a valid question. Uh, and I suppose the answer always comes down to do the shareholders get better value by either be- us becoming an operator? Or us spinning out one of our assets, to, and that becomes operated, and uh, and and that is ultimately the question: Why do you? Why are you going to embark on a fairly complex process to become do a reverse or a spin out, bring on new management, go through the risks of becoming an operator, which is still you know those external risks are quite substantial sometimes. Um, is it worth it? So you know we we especially you know when someone looks at our market cap right at the moment even on the bare bones, you know, market cap 17 million. Uh, a portfolio value, given the last price we paid for a mapper at a million dollars a percentage point, um, you know, you're talking 40 million, 43 million pounds on that basis, not accounting for any NPVs or anything like that. You know, you go, well, there is a disparity. So is there, you know, is there, for example, an idea to get a mapper as a separate listy entity? Uh, and this therefore could increase Cadence's market value by it having the reflection of the performance of its shares. So, you know, at the moment, we're continuing our investment strategy, but it's not to say that we would ever preclude and given the right market evaluation, if someone said, right, look, a map is worth this, we think you're going to list this. How does that make, does that increase our value to what we expect? We would, of course, consider it. But our strategy is at, at, at the time, this our strategy for a map at the moment is to progress, progress those three studies um, that we talked about in our, in our NSs, which uh, could hopefully improve our capex, reduce it, reduce our OPEX, increase our revenue by increase the product quality and increase the mine life. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, look to get a joint venture partner into our asset and our mapper um, uh, with the right expertise, the right background, uh, maybe even a funding partner, um, who funded larger projects and debt financed to, to bring them in and, and and develop that asset that way um because certainly at this market capitalization um to raise money for a dfs which you know dfss are not cheap you know they seven to ten million dollars um it, it it's much we, we can achieve a better valuation at Amapa. mapper so that's our strategy I, I i didn't want to answer it specifically but of course it's always conceivable that you come become an owner operator but it really has to deliver deliver value to shareholders and that's ultimately the answer
0: that's fascinating. Kieran, thank you. Thank you very much. Some, some really good answers there to some, some quite good questions, actually, that came in. Unfortunately, we didn't get to ask some of those on, on the last event. But thank you very much for joining us today and addressing those. So, Kieran, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, you're welcome, as always. This podcast was presented by Oanda, TradingView's most popular broker. Trade with Oanda and get one year subscription to TradingView Pro. of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast, and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player.